Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the UCL lunch hour lecture on farewell to childcare, transforming England's broken early childhood system. My name is Professor Claire Cameron. I'm the deputy director at Thomas Coram Research Unit, and I'll be chairing today's session. I'm really delighted to introduce um, today's speaker, Professor Peter Moss. Professor Peter Moss and I have worked together for over 30 years. We've written various books together. We have done various um, international research projects together, mostly about early childhood education. So Peter Moss, he's Emeritus Professor at Thomas Coram Research Unit at UCL. He spent the last 50 years researching into and thinking about early childhood services and systems, both in England and other countries. His interests include the relationship between gender, employment and care, democracy in education and social pedagogy. His most recent books are Transforming Early Childhood in England Towards a Democratic Education and Neoliberalism and Early Childhood Education. He's currently writing a book about the common failings of early childhood systems in Anglophone countries and how these might be fixed. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say about, uh, about farewell to childcare. But before we begin, I wanted to let you know that we'll be have some time at the end of the lecture for questions. And these can be submitted at any point during Peter's talk by going to the Slido, um, the Slido link, and the link is on YouTube apparently, and you need to enter the event code, uh, the number sign, early childhood. So Peter's gonna talk for about 40 minutes um, and then we'll have our time for discussion. And just now I'll hand over to Peter for his talk. Thank you, Claire, and hello. And I'm just gonna share my screen. So, <clears throat> so I hope that's um, that's visible to to everybody. Well, uh, it's a real pleasure to be giving this lecture today, especially as the Thomas Coram Research Unit, which has been my academic home for five decades, is currently celebrating its fiftieth anniversary. Now, Thomas Coram Research Unit will appear again later in my presentation. Oh, I'm sorry, I seem to have, oh, that's, right. that's better, um, will appear later in my presentation again, and my presentation has three parts. The first part is what's wrong. I'll analyse the state of England's early childhood system and conclude that the system is broken and needs transformative change. In the second part, what I'll ask is, what do we need? And I'll offer one view of what a transformed system might look like, a system that is universal, integrated, education-based and public. And my third part and final part will be to ask the question, what next? Giving a very rough and very quick guide to how to achieve a transformed system with a very clear starting point, we need to make time to think.
I referred to an early childhood system. So what do I mean? Well, I'm talking about all early childhood education and care services, plus a range of what I would call parenting leaves, things like maternity leave, paternity leave and parental leave. Now, of course, there are other services and policies that affect young children and parents. Health, for example, and social security is another example, but I'll have to leave those to one side for today. But by talking about a system, I want to emphasize the need to be inclusive. A system needs to be about all young children and all parents. So, what's wrong with what we've got? That's my first part. Today, there are endless complaints about childcare, and I put childcare in uh, inverted commas because, as you'll see later, I consider it a rather problematic term. We have complaints that there's not enough childcare, it's too expensive, the services are closing, etc., etc. But these are just a few symptoms of what I think is a deeply flawed early childhood system. Now, this flawed system is the product, first of all, of decades of public neglect going back to the end of the Second World War, not before, followed by a failure to think once early childhood at last gained policy attention from 1997 with the advent of the new Labour government. The result of this neglect and failure to think well, since 1997, we have seen more of the same and an increasingly dysfunctional system with a split system, a split system as the root problem. This split system includes services that are split, but it also includes a split between services for children and parenting leave. So let me explain what I mean by both of those. Let me start with the split services bit. Now, historically, early childhood systems in all countries, I think I can say that without um, reservation, they have always developed with a split between on the one hand, childcare services, things like nurseries or creches or childminders, and on the other hand, school or kindergarten services for young children. Now, a few countries, and these are mostly not, they're not only Nordic countries, have fixed this split problem. And what they today have is a universal integrated education-based early childhood system. In doing this, they have bidden farewell to separate childcare services. And I'll give you an example of what that looks like later. But most countries still have split systems. Now, if you look at continental Europe, mostly there you will find that in the split systems, schools or kindergartens are the dominant players. They provide for most children and they provide for most places. Uh, France is a classic example of this 
you have a system where there are three years of full-time universal nursery schooling for children from three to six, all children going back to today, it's actually compulsory for children to attend from the age of three. And those schools are called école maternelle, rather archaically motherly schools. And at the same time, they have childcare services in creches or assistantes maternelles, what you would call them childminders. And these provide for some under threes, but it's the nursery school system that is dominant. But in the Anglosphere, those countries which are predominantly Anglophone, Australia, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, US, for example, there is a different split. And in these countries, it's childcare services that dominate the split system. Typically, you find that there are schools or kindergartens for young children for just one or two years. And often these just provide part-time hours of attendance. The main provision is in childcare services, have various names, but they're roughly nurseries or family daycare. And these take the whole age range of children from birth to five or six. So most children in the Anglosphere go to childcare services. Most children in many other countries go to um, kindergartens or nursery schools. But in all cases, the services are split. Now, England is a good example of this Anglosphere model, the one I've mentioned where there is a split system with the childcare services dominant. A recent report by the Nuffield Foundation described the result of this split system. And I'm going to quote from the report. They wrote, there is no national coherent vision for early childhood education and care. The system accordingly is confused and fragmented. It comprises a diverse patchwork of different services and complex funding arrangements. And just to put a bit of flesh on that, the Institute for Fiscal Studies in a recent report has identified, and I quote, at least eight different programs to help families with childcare costs. While overall, there are at least seven, seven different types of early childhood provision, and each type has a different offer, and each type addresses a different group of families. And the split is between childcare services and school services. So in England, we have childcare services and they cater for children from birth to five years. And these childcare services are mainly private for profit services. They're known typically as nurseries or day nurseries, plus of course, childminders. And essentially, most of them operate as businesses selling childcare to working parents with some education added on top. And in these childcare services, parents pay most of the costs, but there has been and there is some public subsidy to support parents' costs, reduce them somewhat. And then very typically in these childcare child services, there is a large workforce with low qualifications and very low pay, so low in fact, 
that nearly half the workforce relies on social security benefits to uh, bring up their pay to a livable standard. And then as a minority part of our system, we have school services, which provide for three and four-year-olds. These are mainly public services in the sense that they are in nursery and reception classes in primary schools. And also they are in a few nursery schools. And these services are mainly providing education. They're publicly funded with no cost to parents. And they are based on a workforce that is well qualified and relatively, I stress relatively, given the current industrial actions, relatively well paid. They're, they're a teaching workforce supported by teaching assistants. Now, as well as the split within services, that split between childcare and school services, we have another split, a split between early childhood services and parenting leaves. So there isn't a big gap between the end of well-paid parenting leave, which in this country runs for all of six weeks. So maternity leave includes six weeks of payment at 90% of earnings, after which it drops to a very low flat rate or no payment at all, which is also true of parental leave. Paternity leave involves two weeks of very low flat rate pay. So there's a big gap between the end of well-paid parenting leave and the start of a universal entitlement to early childhood services, which starts at 36 months at present. So the over two and a half years gap between those those two entitlements. And this split in policy reflects a split in responsibility for parenting leave and early childhood services. So parenting leave, which is to enable parents to spend time with very young children at home, is the responsibility of the Department for Business and Trade. And it's a UK responsibility, whereas early childhood services rest with the Department for Education and they are responsible for England, but not for Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland. So, so given this, oops, I'm sorry, I'm um, getting ahead of myself. The split systems, wherever they are, are not good news. And the negative consequences of having split systems have been very long recognized. Let me give you some of those negative consequences. Split systems create inequalities and incoherence. To give a very obvious example, the mainly private childcare sector is based on a low cost employment model, but high costs for parents, while the mainly public school services are based on a professional workforce and no cost to parents. Social systems are socially divisive as well. For example, childcare services, for example, typically in nurseries, are used more by advantaged children coming from higher income and higher educated uh, families Typically, children attending nurseries have got parents who are employed and have higher incomes, and 
mothers and fathers are typically coming from a higher level of education. So there is a very strong element of social divisiveness. Then split systems lead to discontinuities and unnecessary transitions. So for example, children may find themselves moving to school-based services at the age of three or four. And there is that large gap that I mentioned between the end of well-paid leave and the start of an entitlement to an early childhood service. Split systems also embed artificial distinctions between care and education. I will argue, I do argue that all children need care and all children have a right to education beginning at birth. And there I'm quoting from the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child in their general comment number seven, in which they interpretate the right of children to education to begin from birth. And finally, split systems weaken the early childhood sector. And this is an especial problem in England, where the early childhood sector is very short. I mean, children, I think unusually in, uh, compared to other countries in England, find themselves moved into primary school at the very early age of four. So the early childhood sector is very weak because it's very short, but it's made even weaker by being split. And that raises the risk of what has sometimes been called schoolification. That is the idea that primary schooling takes over the early childhood services, the early childhood provision in what has been called a colonizing manner. Otherwise you get a push down into early childhood of the approaches to education you find in compulsory schooling. And these approaches are often quite inappropriate to working with young children. So, Having given this um, uh, an overview of this flawed and dysfunctional split system, what is it that we need? So going back to 1997, when government, the change to new labor, decided that early childhood mattered, and that um, it was very important that, that, that Britain actually took this whole area seriously. At that moment, the problem I think was that England failed to diagnose the problems with its split childcare dominated model, and it failed to consider the alternatives that could have been chosen. Instead, it settled for what Roberta Unger refers to as reformist tinkering with the established system. Essentially what we got and what we have had since 1997 is more of the same with some variations. As an example, we have seen the uncritical policy promotion by successive governments, Labour and Conservative, of a privatised childcare market, despite research showing that it's highly problematic, and that it's also suffering from increasing corporatization and financialization, a process that in fact has been documented in recent research by the Thomas Coram Research Unit. 
In other words, the private childcare market is increasingly being taken over by very large multinational corporations backed by, if you like, uh, money men coming from fields like private equity and investment banks. What was and is still needed, I believe, is transformative change and not tinkering because there are alternatives. And let me offer you just one. And of course, there are other alternatives available. And I think if, if I leave any message from my lecture today, it is that there are alternatives and we need to be opening up a debate about what alternative we need and want as a society. So this one alternative I'm going to share with you involves turning away from a split childcare dominated system and moving towards a universal, fully integrated public system of early childhood education. A universal, fully integrated public system of early childhood education from birth to six years. And although I'm not going to go much further into that, I want to emphasize that I think it's about time that we changed the age at which children move from early childhood to uh, compulsory education from four to six, because four is clearly far too young. And this alternative that I'm going to discuss would be based on three principles. First of all, the uh, primacy of children's rights, including education from birth, but also the importance of gender equality. Second principle being that early childhood education is a public good and not a, a, a private commodity, and therefore needs to be demarketized and deprivatized. And thirdly, early childhood education recognized as an essential part of the welfare state and our social infrastructure. In other words, recognized as what some would call a universal basic service. What would such a system involve? What would it mean? Such a universal integrated public system of early childhood education means integrated access, by which I mean an entitlement for all children to access the system, and in fact, all their carers also, from birth to six years of age, plus 12 months of well-paid parental leave. I've used the term well-paid already. A, a fairly generally accepted um, definition of well-paid is receiving at least two thirds of normal income uh, when you are taking leave. Uh, you, you could argue that it should be slightly more or slightly less, but uh, the, the general definition quite often used is two thirds of normal earnings. So integrated access means universal entitlement for all children and all carers in, to services, plus 12 months of well-paid parental leave, removing any gap between services and leave. Secondly, universal integrated public system means integrated provision in multi-purpose community services open to all children from zero to six and all families. 
Unfortunately, we have a very good example of what this might look like from our own country in England. The example being children's centres. Now, children's centres, I've called an English innovation, and I think it's important to recognise that England has some important experience here that we can draw on, draw on in transforming our system. Children's centres were proposed and piloted as far back as the 1970s in England. They were put forward as a universal integrated multi-purpose public early childhood system. And Thomas Coram Research Unit, under its first director, Professor Jack Tizard, played a leading role in this process of proposing and piloting a transformed and innovative form of provision. This is what he wrote back in 1976. The service, children's centres, must be available to all families and not selective in its intake and must be based on demand, not need. A centre for daycare and education might also offer a range of other services to young families living locally, even perhaps to the local community as a whole. So Jack Tizard and others envisage children's centres as serving a catchment area, mostly within pram pushing distance. And Jack Tizard later went on to say that just like health and the schools, children's centres should be free of charge. Now, although these centres were piloted, tried out and shown to work in the 70s and early 80s, sadly, they were ignored for more than 25 years by successive governments. But they were finally taken up by new labour in the 2000s. And within seven years, and I think this is quite a remarkable um, achievement, over three and a half thousand children's centres were up and running in England. So by 2010, within seven years, we had 3,600 children's centres up and running. An example of what can be done if government puts its mind to it. But sadly, that has been followed by neglect since 2010, with many children's centres closing or having their services severely curtailed. So England has wasted a great opportunity to transform its early childhood services. Going back to what an early childhood system of uh, um, a universal integrated public system of early childhood education means, it would also mean an integrated workforce based on a graduate early childhood profession. That's a profession specializing in work with children from birth to six. There are various possibilities here. It could be an early childhood teacher, it could be drawing on some countries in the on the continent, a social pedagogue, we could have that debate, but it's a, a graduate profession. And that graduate profession should have parity of status and pay with school teachers. A universal integrated public system means integrated funding, services funded directly, no more subsidies to parents and free to attend for a core period, possibly for the same hours that children attend compulsory school. It means to public provision, I would argue. Services provided by local authorities 
and also by non-profit organizations in agreement with local authorities. And it means being an integral part of the education system. Education at the heart of the early childhood system because education is a child's right from birth and working too with a holistic concept of education, what some people have called education in its broadest sense, moving away from the narrow approach to education that is prevalent today. But though I'm emphasizing an education focus, an education-based system, I want to make it clear that that also means a system that supports parents at home in the first year, parents taking well-paid parental leave, giving them access to multi-purpose services in children's centres. Children's centres are there for children and parents from day one. It also means serving many other purposes as well as education. For example, supporting employed parents by offering appropriate opening hours. So an integrated system of early childhood education means education and, and, and lots of other things as well. And it means re recognizing the importance of care for all children and all adults. There is not an opposition between education and care. A strong education, whether it's in early years or higher education, should have care at its heart. But care for all children and all adults, by which I mean care understood as a relational ethic, an ethics of care, an ethics which shapes how we relate to each other, and not care as a commodity for sale to some parents, as in childcare for working parents. So to summarize, in this alternative system, early childhood services are the first stage of the education system, a stage running from birth to six years. And that part of the education system is in a strong and equal partnership with compulsory education. It is not subservient to compulsory education, it is an equal partner. These services are inclusive and multi-purpose for all children and all families. They are provided as a, as a public good and a universal entitlement, and they are inscribed with an ethics of care, providing care for all. And in this alternative system, there are no separate childcare services, no childcare market. So that's what I mean when I say, Farewell to childcare. So, it's before I leave that alternative, there are a few examples of this universal integrated public system of early childhood education. And I'll give you just here the one case, one example of such a system, which is, a, which is Sweden, which is a country that I've studied and know quite well. So in Sweden, the administration and regulation of all early childhood services resides in the education systems with the Ministry of Education and local education departments. 
There is a single curriculum which covers children from the age of one to six, the curriculum for the preschool. There is a universal entitlement to attend early childhood services for all children, whether their parents are employed or not, from 12 months of age. Before 12 months of age, nearly every child in Sweden is cared for at home by mothers and fathers who are benefiting from well-paid parental leave, which runs for at least 13 months. So there's no gap between well-paid leave and early childhood education. There is a single type of provision. Nearly all children go to what the Swedes call preschools, which are centers for children from one to six years of age. These are legally defined as schools. They have long opening hours, but although they are legally defined as schools, they have a very distinct and appropriate early childhood identity and pedagogy. The, the workforce is based on a graduate early years teacher who specializes with working from children from one to seven, which includes the first years of primary school. And there is funding that is based on directly funding services from taxation. There is a free period of attendance for three to six year olds and everything else is covered by a maximum fee. The most any parent in Sweden will pay is about 120 pounds a month for their first child and 80 pounds a month for a second child. And if they have three children in early childhood education, the third child costs um, about 40 pounds a month. So I turn now to my final part, what next? And I, I recognize I have 10 minutes and it's really quite preposterous to talk about what needs doing in a mere 10 minutes. So all I can do is sketch in a few thoughts. I'd be very happy to discuss this in more detail if we have time in questions and discussion. So my creed occur is that we need to stop and think. And this was the message of Jack Tizard, who you remember was the founder of the Thomas Coram Research Unit in the 1970s. And he wrote this in 1976. One of the few benefits of the present bleak economic climate, plus a change, is that it may offer a chance to review existing policies experiment with new options and work out better policies, not only for preschool children, but for families with young children. Notice, review existing policies, work out better policies. So this was a creed occur to stop and think, but sadly, we didn't. So we still need to stop and think as the Nuffield Foundation recognized in its report 45 years on in 2021. They wrote, a whole system review of early childhood services is needed. One which articulates a clarity of purpose and which meets the needs of both young children and their families and makes a difference to disadvantaged children in particular. Given the weight of evidence highlighting the complexities and inefficiencies of current programs, the time is right for a wholesale evaluation of the purpose, 
and provision of early childhood education and care. So that theme of the need for a whole system review, in other words, to stop and think, runs through from 1976 to 2021. So it seems to me that although, of course, we constantly feel the need to do something, we perhaps need to resist this endless tinkering with the system to try and stop and think and try and sort out the system. And I think to do that, I think this means asking and discussing political questions. It means bringing politics back into early childhood education. A future functional early childhood system needs basing on us making political choices to political questions. Questions such as, what is our image of the child? Now, this is, an, this is a, a quintessentially political question. And I use it here because it's been fundamental to the world famous early childhood education in the municipal schools of the Italian city of Reggio Emilia. And its importance was laid out in a speech by Reggio Emilia's great educator, Loris Malaguzzi. And he said, a declaration about the image of the child is a necessary premise for any pedagogical theory and any, any pedagogical project. For him, you have to start by saying, who do we think the child is? That's the foundation for developing an alternative system, an alternative approach to working with young children. And his answer, Reggio Emilia's answer, is an example of the importance of a clear statement on the image of the child. And this is what he said. We say, that's in Reggio Emilia in Italy, we say that all children are rich. There are no poor children. All children, whatever their culture, whatever their lives, are rich, better equipped, more talented, stronger, and more intelligent than we can suppose. They are not bearers of needs, but bearers of rights, values, and competencies. And he talked also of these children as citizens, as protagonists, as active, actively engaged in, in creating knowledge and values and identity from birth onwards. So that's one in key political question I think we need to have before us when we stop and think about what we want. And here are some other political questions that I think can help us think about the early childhood system we need. I mentioned what is our image of the child, but also what is our image of the early childhood worker? Who do we think she or indeed he is? What is our image of the parent? Is the parent just a consumer in the childcare market or an active citizen participating democratically in early childhood services? And what is our image of the early childhood services? What do we mean by education? And also, what do we mean by care? The terms like childcare are banded around all the time, but rarely does anybody stop to ask what we mean by it.
What are early childhood services for? What are their purposes? What are the fundamental values for early childhood services? What ethics should they work with? And what pedagogy? And what do we want for our children here and now and in the future? And before I leave this, and I, sadly, I don't have time to go through all these questions, the sort of answers that we might want to come up with. I just want to digress very briefly on the question of fundamental values. Uh, to the question, what are the fundamental values for early childhood services? Because I would argue, as other people have done, that one of those values should be democracy. We should be building our early childhood education on the fundamental value of democracy. And in case you're thinking that's way out, quite a number of countries have actually specified democracy in their early childhood curricula. For example, the Swedish curriculum for the preschool says, the preschool is part of the school system and rests on the basis of democracy. Education should be undertaken in democratic forms, creating a democratic climate in the preschool. A German research project called Democratic Life says the basis for an everyday democratic culture can indeed already be formed in the day nursery. Valores Malaguzzi, that great educator from Reggio Emilia, talked about building the schools in Reggio Emilia together with children, young people, parents and citizens that are living centers of open and democratic culture. After thinking, we need action. And again, time precludes a detailed agenda, but here are just a few items to kind of get you thinking perhaps about what that agenda might include. The starting point would be government committing to a universal integrated public system of early childhood education and setting a transition period for achieving that system possibly 10 years, possibly would have to be somewhat longer, but we need to decide how long we need. Secondly, using public funding, which has increased by large measure in recent years, but using public funding to leverage change, including deprivatizing our, our current system, by which I mean, for example, shifting public funding from private childcare services into public services like children's centers. Then developing an early childhood graduate profession with parity of status and pay to school teachers and supporting the existing workforce to upgrade their qualifications to that graduate profession. And a fourth item, which I think is really crucial, is to open a continuous dialogue with potential friends, people who have also gone down this road and here I'm thinking not only of the Nordic countries, but of other countries like New Zealand, where there are very interesting experiences from which we could benefit and to which we could contribute. We should not be doing change alone. So, to wrap up, England has wasted years tinkering with symptoms and failing to fix a flawed system. It's talked endlessly and unhelpfully about childcare. It's been frankly in a hole and it's got deeply, more deeply into that hole by keeping digging. 
Transforming early childhood in England will require political choices and radical change in thinking, in policy, in provision and in practice, but that transformation is possible. And just to end by flagging up where you might find some ideas about, more ideas about transformation, you might want to look at this book about transforming early childhood in England that was edited by myself and Claire Cameron, who's chairing this session, and which contains contributions on a whole range of issues from colleagues at Thomas Coram Research Unit and the Institute of Education. And what makes it even better is that it's accessible free online from the very excellent UCL Press. Just Google transforming early childhood in England and UCL Press and up it will pop and you can access it straight away. And I've left my email address there because if you don't get round to uh, raising your points in the next 15 minutes, I would be very happy to have a dialogue with you online. So thank you very much for your attention. And on that note, I will end my lecture. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. That was great, great to hear summarised. And uh, I hope it's been a very good stimulus for the audience to think about questions. So we have um, just short of 15 minutes. So um, we'll start by looking at, at the Slido. And the first question on there is, it's about this question of, of change and the mechanisms for change. So the first is, how do we change the UK government department structures that don't reflect this area, such as the Department for Education and DCMS, where there's no real holistic thinking about children and families and so on? So it's about, I guess, about not just seeing this as a one department um, project, but one government department project, but overall, we've got several departments that might impact on yeah. um, the change that's needed. Um, I mean, ju just to clarify the point, of course, uh, there's a deep confusion because we have some departments and policies that run at a UK level. So for example, parenting leave is a UK responsibility, as is the current system of tax credits, uh, which means that whereas a lot of the policies are the responsibility of the four nations which make up the UK. So um, Scotland and Wales, in some respects, uh, are doing, I think, much more interesting things than is going on in England. So I think one of the, one of the problems is the sort of confusion um, that's embedded in the system of being some things being UK and some things being England. And in one way, we actually, uh, under the, in the 2000s, we did make quite considerable gains here uh, under New Labour, and I'm not an uncritical um, enthusiast from what New Labour did, I, I've written critically about them, but one thing they did, tr they did work on was to develop a much more comprehensive uh, approach to children and services. Some of you may recall that in the 2000s, the only show in town was something called Every Child Matters, which was an attempt to develop a universal and comprehensive approach to services for children and families. And that led, for example, to every school becoming an extended school, which offered a range of services for all families in its community. 
and it led to the children's centre program that I uh, that I mentioned. The, the the Department for Education became the Department for for children, schools, and families. Because what happened in 2010, all that was uh, airbrushed out of history almost overnight. And yet you know, we find ourselves talking now as if these things never happened. People during the COVID pandemic suddenly discovered that schools were rather important for all sorts of reasons, not just for learning. But actually, this is what we were talking about in the 2000s when we wanted schools to be extended schools. So my own view is that we should go back to trying to build on those ideas and actually take advantage of the fact that during New Labour, we, in, we brought within the education department a whole raft of areas of policy to do with children and families. I think that in England, we have the Department for Education has a wider remit for children and families than perhaps any other department in any other country. I'm prepared to be shot down on that. So you but think it's a huge thing. And then, of course, one of the things we should decide is how, how can we bring in to that department some connection with other policy areas in which parenting leave is the obvious first step. Is some Because parenting leave is treated basically as an employment measure when it could arguably be seen as a universal measure concerned with citizens' rights to care and the rights of children to be cared for. So I think, I think we should actually build on what we started to do instead of just junking stuff. Okay, so the, then the a related question is, why has England found it so difficult to think together about early childhood? Well, I think the problem is not confined to early childhood. I think we've not been very good at thinking collectively about other important issues. Uh, uh, when I get depressed about early childhood, I can get e even more depressed when I look at fields like social care or housing. We seem to be incapable as a country of actually collectively and seriously discussing the nature of the problems confronting us and how we might deal with them. I think uh, that a central problem, and I've written about this uh, for example, in the book that Claire mentioned at the beginning on neoliberalism and early childhood education, a central problem is that politics have been dominated for 40 years by a very particular mindset, what might we call neoliberalism, with its mantra of there is no alternative. And it's focused very much on technical questions like what works and evidence-based and so on. And we've lost the ability as a society to think about alternatives, to ask and debate political questions. We simply don't have a politics of education today, let alone a politics of early education, where we discuss different possibilities and we discuss what I call political questions, you know, profound questions or where there is no one right answer, you could say. So, so um, you've talked about the need for, for government level um, coordination and vision on, on this issue. But one of our uh, questions is about this process of transition. How could we transition to the current system, to the one that you've described? And I'm wondering what is the role at local and regional levels of, of this thinking and, and the process of transition? Well, I, I think that one of, the, one of the future directions has to be a re, has putting the, the transformation of early childhood into a wider context of uh, 
a, re, a strengthening again of, of local uh, decentralization and strengthening of local government. If, if you look at Sweden, which it, it, I, I didn't have time to go into how it achieved what it achieved, it actually, a lot of the changes in Sweden were initiated by local authorities and then the national government caught up with them. What we've done is gutted local authorities, which in the past may not always have been brilliant, but often were the sources of a lot of the most innovative and thoughtful changes, not only in early childhood education. I think myself that what we should be doing is setting up something like a commission uh, which would look at early childhood education and be a vehicle for actually looking at the problem and looking at alternatives and, and a democratic vehicle for various individuals and groups to share their views. And I think that could be fed into through local initiatives. Very interesting example of that, of course, was the Cambridge Primary Review, yeah. which some of you may remember, which was not set up by government, though it should have been, was set up with the funding, funding from charities, if you like, was a national body looking at primary education. And it had all sorts of um, consultative and other bodies at local levels, which fed into its consultations. So I think it'd be perfectly reasonable to think of a, a, national, uh, a national body, funded or set up by government, and into that could be fed the views of local communities, regional communities, but also of the various organisations that exist. Though I do think one of the problems we have at present is that the early childhood field is terribly fragmented and it has been unable to put together a strong united voice for transformation. I think the early childhood field needs to get its act together. Okay, so um, related to that, we have a question about how do you think the current family hubs approach compares to the children's centre you discussed? Well, it's children's centre is very, 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 very light. It, I mean, it, it, it doesn't compare at all. Children's centres was originally envisaged, had at their heart early childhood education and care. And they were going to be the place where this central function took place. And on top of that, they provided a range of other uh, services, the, the, the pilot services that Thomas Coram and others set up, for example, had child health services in, uh, as part of children's services. Hubs are essentially a uh, advice centers. They're, they're not themselves delivering core services. So they're just, I think they're on the cheap. Um, and I think they've been set up with a gut by a government who neither appreciates or, or values the idea of children's services as strong community public services. So I, I'm not an enthusiast at all. Well, they, I can't quite critically, they don't offer childcare. They don't offer early childhood education. Yeah. They're also, of course, from zero to 19. And whereas I think some services should be that, that broad, I think actually children's services are focused on early childhood. And I think there's a case for that yeah. as well. Yeah, okay. And then a, another question about, um, I'd welcome your thinking about integration in early childhood education. You mentioned the fragmentation there, but should we go further and look for integration with health and welfare and starting from conception, for example? Um, you know. Well, I think that is an important point. And I, I'm always very aware when I, when I write or make these presentations that my, my knowledge of, of, of the health service is not as strong as it should be. I, I think, 
going back to my early roots at Thomas Quorum in the 1970s, and I was involved then with Jack Tizard in setting up and running two prototype children's centers in London. And integral, as I've just said to those two children's centers, were, were pediatricians and health visitors. The children's centers provided early childhood education, they provided a range of support services for families, and they ran very, very good child welfare services staffed by pediatricians and health visitors. So it seems to me, and I know that the, the children's center program under New Labour quite often had a very strong child health midwifery uh, element to it. So it seems to me that that's a bit of a, you know, that it's a bit again of a no brainer that one should be thinking of child health very closely related to a children's center service, which I think would eventually replace the existing forms of provision, uh, fragmented forms of provision that we have. Yeah, okay. So the very, we've got two minutes left for this question. Nearly 40 years on after from Jack's, Jack Tizard's quote, and the sector is worse off, can policy change when the main direction is towards privatization? Will government pay the ultimate question in a sense? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, my, my analysis is that the, uh, the epoch, the neoliberal epoch, which gave us privatization, of course, not just in early childhood education, is, is passing, it's proved to be a disaster. And the issue is going to be what follows it. So it seems to me that it's a great responsibility on all of us who are concerned to be actually coming up with ideas for how we how we move forward out of this uh, rather disastrous experiment that has afflicted us not only in early childhood but many other areas where where uh, utilities basic services have been handed over to the private sector. So I think things are moving. I think things will move. It's interesting that in many, there are many examples these days of privatized utilities being, uh, being taken back into the public sector. So I think we need to be part of that movement that's going on actually across the world at present. Okay, thank you so much, Peter. I think we'll have to leave it there. Um, thank you everybody for coming along today. I gather there's about 80 people um, on, on the screen watching through, through the YouTube live stream. So that's brilliant. Um, thank you very much, Peter, for your accumulated wisdom over many, many years in this space. Um, there's much more to do. Various people have asked questions along here about how you keep going with optimism uh, <laughs> <laughs> after this, uh, in this somewhat gloomy policy space. Um, so all it remains for me to do is to say thank you very much for the team behind today's lecture for all their support. And uh, thank you very much, audience. Thank you very much, Peter. And uh, good day. Thank good you. Day. Bye bye. bye.